Getting into college was once a normal teenage rite of passage. Now it's a global Hunger Games. You're competing against the kid at the best school in Singapore. Slate and Panoply are here to help. Our new podcast, Getting In, follows a group of seniors through the college application process in real time. Along the way, the students and listeners will get advice from experts with decades of experience. Getting In, a podcast about demystifying college admissions and finding the right fit for every student. Available in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the existential drama of an American presidential race. I'm Alex Wagner from MSNBC. With me here in New York is our friend, the great Mike Pesca, host of Slate's other podcast, The Gist. Mike, thank you for filling in for Mark Leibovich, who is on assignment in China. Really? No. Is that what we said? No, no. I just, I, ever since he showed us the hardcover version of his book in Chinese, I yeah. think Leibovich, I think China. I'm like Trump. <laughs> and and over in Washington, D.C., a trooper, a soldier, a savior, the wonderful Annie Lowry, contributing editor with New York Magazine. Annie, I know you're channeling your inner Marianne Faithful. It's true. I have a little bit of a chest cold, so it, this this edition comes with extra vocal fry for all the haters out there. <laughs> a little sexy town. Okay, <laughs> I mean, guys, I'm going to get right to it because it's been a huge week. This week, the Republican debates, and we have to still use plural, Pesca, because there yes. was more than one. CNN is bragging that over 900,000 viewers streamed the live event. We'll probably get more details on the actual Nielsen numbers. It was an odyssey is what I felt. Uh, And we'll be talking about the rise of Carly Fiorina, something I like to call the resurgence of Carlito's way. We will also try and remember (laughs) those other people on stage, including a guy named Jeb Bush. And then we're going to talk at length about what it was like to sit through more than three hours of Republican talking points and whether we actually learned anything. And we will wrap it up with a special segment we like to call How to Create Your Own Secret Service Codename. Justice never sleeps. Okay, Carly Fiorina, Carlito's way. Pesca, here's my question. Is this a version of Bloodsport, the movie Kumite? Mm-hmm. Two men enter, one man leave. Does the rise of Carly Fiorina inevitably mean the fall of Donald Trump? Well, pushing one of the other male outsiders out, one of the men, only only Carson Trump. I mean, this is the mood of the electorate and in handicapping the debate. It's going to be very hard for us to do because we can't apply the normal metrics and then we can't do what essentially CNN did, what guess what it was like to be a Republican. Anyway, I think that she definitely did great in the debate. Caveat, we've always been wrong about how debates help people, but I don't see, and I think Carson did certainly as good in the debate as he did in the first debate, which I thought wasn't very good, and yet he did well. And, and I thought, he's to number two in the most recent, well, polling before the debate. Exactly, and I saw a social media statistics that say he crushed it on Facebook and added 100,000 new how? followers. They, he's nice. But they it, like him. I just watch Carson, Annie, and I'm like, he's uh, he's got a great pinstripe suit. Yep. He seems like a nice guy. Interesting that he was trying to give George Bush foreign policy advice in 2003 as a neurosurgeon. <laughs> Beyond that, I mean, I really think the guy's equivalent to a white noise machine. I mean, he just lulls you into the state of stupor that's what they, that's and what they sleep. Like. He has an excellent bedside manner. Look, I, I think that Mike is completely correct that the handicapping that happens right after these debates happen when we're like, oh, we should expect to see this happen. That never happens. People are always wrong about the actual effect. Um, that said, 
do I think that Carly Fiorina is going to get a bounce like she did from the first time when she won the kids' table debate? Like, absolutely. But she's polling 3.3% right now. <laughs> she has one-tenth the support of Donald Trump. And at some point, you have to ask, like, you know, who is she drawing people away from? Are people really leaving Trump to join her? And and does she do anything other than muddy the waters? And, you know, there's a lot of time left, right? Like, but, you know, I wouldn't count anybody out at this point. But but to go from 3.3%, I, I think is going to be really, really hard. I, I also Jim Gilmore. Want, we could count Yeah, Jim right. <laughs> well, someone has to. Here's what, I mean, I guess my question vis-a-vis Fiorina is, no doubt, she is fast. She is articulate. But substantively, I mean, did she really ninja this race the way everyone says she did? And is is it that Carly Fiorina is exceptionally good at debating or just that everybody else on stage is exceptionally bad? I mean, do, we're comparing her to Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Her biggest applause line of, of the night was about the Planned Parenthood videos, right? And she, you know, creates this tableau with the fetus with the beating heart. It's really awful. That didn't actually appear in the Planned Parenthood videos is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the factual parts. But I don't think it matters, right? Like nobody cares. You can say whatever you want. And yeah. as long as you sound somewhat convincing, nobody's going to actually drill down and say, oh, would that really change anything in Vladimir Putin's mind? Well, I wonder about that. I think Carly Fiorina actually gives this the impression of substance by doing things like naming the sixth fleet. Oh, wait, that's a specific number. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. And, and missiles in Poland or and the exercises in, in the Balkans. And yeah. uh, those. And she actually pronounced a bunch of names, right? You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> Suleimani. And that's great. But if you actually look at her military prescriptions, we're doing all those things. We have yeah. tons of military exercises in the Balkans. And she said very aggressive military exercises. Wait, what do you mean? We need to be the strongest military. We, of course, are by, by a factor of 10 or 20. Or her suggestion that we reimpose sanctions on Iran multilaterally. I mean, yeah. that's and not, not going to happen. And not talk that's to not anyone. Happen. Although, Annie, I do question. So is the mood that it doesn't matter if you're substantive or is the mood if you fool someone on substance? See, I would say Trump is just very transparently non-substantive and it yeah. doesn't matter at all. Right, I would yeah. say Bush certainly has tons of substance and that's killing him. I think Carson and Trump oh, yeah. have not even tried to show substance. It's working yeah. for them. So we're congratulating Carly for giving the appearance of substance. She did great in the debate, but I don't know that even the appearance Wait, of substance is I, something I voters do wanna, want. I do want to talk about a specific point that Annie brought up, which is the Planned Parenthood thing. Because if there is something that Carly Fiorina will be remembered for... Maybe in this race, it's that particular moment. And literally, the Republican Party has been teeing up that specific moment to happen ever since Carly Fiorina sort of became a real contender in this, which was they really want a conservative woman to go at Planned Parenthood and the choice movement in a in an emotional hard-hitting, very public way. And Carly Fiorina delivered on that in, in yeah. a way that I think, pardon the metaphor, trumps like any other moment that happened because they they wanted that sort of stagecraft to happen. And they've been, like I said, we're, we're looking at a potential looming government shutdown over the issue. She gave them that sort of mascot moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're going to be replaying that for weeks, if not months to come. Maybe what matters is that she appeared to be presidential and to win the debate. And the actual substance that she used to get there is somewhat meaningless. But Mike, I mean, before we move on to the next topic, I guess I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the Donald. Because every time we say, oh, he's toast now, or he's he's crisping now on his way to toast, he comes back. And I actually thought, 
he was really bad last night. I mean, I thought he seemed weak. I think he seemed flailing. He was silent for a good portion of the back half of the debate. And there seemed to be viable, angry alternatives that his followers could flock to. So I don't know where you stand at this particular moment in terms of looking at his strengths. Okay, uh, let's note that we've always been wrong. And so the metric, the metric that I've done is... Um, instead of comparing it to some platonic ideal of debating or what we think Republican voters want, let's just compare them to what they've been doing. Did they essentially do the thing that's been working or hurting them? So I think Donald essentially did most of the things that's been helping him, gratuitously insulting Rand Paul for no reason, which people like, getting in a bunch (laughs) of zingers. Good defense of the bankruptcy argument, which is a bad argument against him, whereas the argument against Carly Fiorina, I think, is a good argument against her. Her record at HP. Yes, I I do think that every time he was paired with Bush, he won. He diminished Bush in alpha maleness, in command of some of the issues, actually. Like, Bush didn't seem smarter. He seemed wonkier and less relevant. So I think that that still is Trump's main opponent, and he beat him. Okay, that's a perfect segue. Thank you, Mike Pesca, to Jeb Bush, who we have not (laughs) talked about until just now. And Annie, remember when that guy was the front runner? I mean, I just thought there were moments last night where he sort of tried to push Trump off of him. And I felt like he failed miserably. And in fact, he might have done himself a further disservice by trying to punch back the schoolyard bully and losing on the blacktop with everybody to to watch and see. Yeah, it's kind of a marvel to behold because I th- I think that there's still like in this town, you know, if Mark were here, still this feeling that this guy has to be the candidate. But then you look and and I've only seen like you know the the sketchiest polling coming out of last night. But all the people are talking about is Trump and Fiorina, and I, I think that there's just this kind of like war of attrition among all these sort of like stayed boring white guys, and I think it's like worked out really poorly for Jeb Bush. He's an unexciting candidate and the food fight does not favor him he's patrician he likes order well he, he, likes he to does be this able to turtle his thing point. with his neck too where he's, he's like sticking it out sticking it out sticking like it out smallest. and yeah. he does he has a very awkward this is a terrible terrible format for him but i i do wonder both of you guys i mean john Kasich is seen as sort of the heir apparent to the establishment throne do you think he's much more aggressive? He's much more tenacious. He's sort of the diametrical opposite of De- of Jeb Bush in terms of debate performance. Do you think he fared any better and will fare any better in the coming weeks? I just feel like he like blends back into the background, right? He he is like more fiery. I thought he had a very weird answer, like this this like lovely pay into the Clinton economy, which was just bizarre. But again, I, I just think it's hard when when you have all of these guys that become in some sense like indistinguishable on the day after, you know? I think that Kasich from the first debate where he was, which is, was he even going to qualify? It wasn't projected to. He did. He comported himself well. But from that debate to this, I don't see how he did so much better. I do think in terms of the Jeb strategy that there's something to the fact that he knows what he's doing. This is the only way he can campaign. And so he's like a football team that is a running football team and they fall behind by two touchdowns. Do you abandon the run and be who you're not? This is what he has to do. And he'll hope that, you know, his mega war chest and maybe the fever breaking about Trump and Carson will uh, will eventually allow his strategy to succeed. That's what I would and, be doing. Yeah. And then secretly sort of gliding under the surface of all of this like a shark is Marco Rubio, I think. I mean, to talk about the establishment and who they they, they want someone to humiliate and and trump trump 
And they, at this point, I really feel like it's, they, you know, it's a multiple choice question. They have Kasich. They have Bush. I mean, to some degree, I guess they have Walker. They have Rubio, who it surprises me, Annie, has managed to stay out of the fray. He goes hard on foreign policy, as he did the other night. And he is not the subject of attacks. He has managed the immigration question, I think, is so loaded for this field. But Marco Rubio has not had to pay the price on the fact that he was part of the gang of eight that basically crafted bipartisan reform legislation. Do you think that he can wait this out for the next couple months or seasons or however long it takes? I think so. So I think that there were like a lot of opportunities to smash Rubio on policy and they weren't really well taken. But Rubio kind of keeps on hitting like singles and doubles. And he's actually like doing. Why are we all using sports metaphors? All yeah, of a I know. And I'm, I'm not even sure which sport. Baseball, right? Baseball. Yes. That's from baseball. Yes. Runs. But I do think that there's a way that if you are going to see a flight away from Trump at some point, that it is it seems to me that Fiorina and Rubio could be the logical inheritors of those people that at some point might flee him. If Ben Carson benefits from that, he just seems like such a nice guy vote. I don't see how Rubio doesn't. He just seems like right. such a nice he young man. Like that, and that actually, Matt, Ben Carson is the poster child for authenticity matters, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 Jeb Bush is also the poster child for authenticity matters because he can never seem to channel his true self. Donald Trump, I guess, is the poster child for all that. He is authentically himself. And in that way, Rubio seems like a genuinely decent person setting aside any specific policy disagreements one may actually have with him. Who are we forgetting on this stage? Mike Huckabee. Oh, Mike Huckabee. Oh, yeah, him. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the also-rans on the debate stage. Chris Christie. He does so well in debates and does, and the needle never moves. It shows that people are not buying Christie just because of who he is and what he's done. I right. think we're going to see an exfoliation here, Annie. I mean, Christie mm. Walker. Who, Who's going to yeah. loofah Christie? <laughs> <laughs> who will loofah well, the dead well, skin cells of the grand old party? The great loofening. You know, the culling has already started, right? Rick Perry. Let me just take a moment to express my condolences to people who loved watching Rick Perry and his smart person glasses try and barnstorm mm-hmm. another presidential race. I missed Rick Perry in that undercard debate last yeah. night. I really, I miss generally his his spirit, his joie de vivre, his Clark Kent-like ability to try and transform himself and well, I guess Clark Kent actually transformed into his Superman. His craggy good looks. His craggy good looks. And, you know, the the sense that, hey, anything could happen when Rick Perry opened his mouth. I'm going to stop that little <laughs> jag. But to go to the culling, to your point, Annie, the undercard debate, I mean, there was talk after the first debate. Hey, some of these people are going to make it to the adults table. No. The answer no. is no. You're over. Your campaign is over. You can just try and say some interesting shit like Lindsey Graham does. Yeah. At right. least and Lindsey, that's it. Uh, yeah. You have one issue. Lindsey Graham owns Let's Get Troops Into Iraq. Get another <laughs> issue. For Jindal, I suggested eliminate the designated hitter in the American League. Well, again with the sports. <laughs> at this point, I'm not sure that we need to talk about the other candidates anymore. Our work is over. Okay, well, that's a great segue, Annie, to the debate itself and the stagecraft of this presidential race, which is stagecraft like no other insofar, I think, as we are more cognizant. We're having major news outlets reveal to us how they stack the race. I mean, the fact that CNN basically rewrote their own rules to allow both Carly Fiorina and Chris Christie to be on that stage as the the, the dual 10th candidate is just, I mean, let's discuss it. And the fact, Mike and Annie, let's start with you, Mike, that this fucking odyssey was three hours long. Mm-hmm. And that was the primetime debate. You had the kids table debate and it was like, Four plus hours of debate. Yeah. You're standing. I'm standing. Annie sounds like she's 
suffered from from last night. And I'm mean, a casualty. You guys should just leave me here and go on yourselves. My eyeballs were fried. I was doing yoga. I've never done yoga before just to try and get myself out of the, the matrix of the, these debates. I mean, I guess CNN read that people enjoy binge watching things. I don't know if they mean this debate. It did seem that CNN, just the on the question per question level, was grasping for things that not a real Republican would care about, but that another, a non-Republican would think that a Republican might care about. There was, let's make everyone have these short, choppy sentences and get everyone in, but then have it be three hours. So it was like a a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. It was like one of these movies that had all these crazy quick edits, but it was also the length of the ring cycle. It was exhausting. (laughs) It It was was the length of the ring cycle. It's Homeric. It was Wagnerian. It was a lot of these things. All the worst things are Wagnerian. (laughs) And the thing that shocks me the most is voters basically only care about one thing, right? Like they care about the economy in sort of the six months to one year before the election actually happens. How many questions about the economy were there? Because I think they talked about the economy for like three minutes out of the literally 180 minutes of screaming that happened last night. Annie, I was thinking about this. You are a political expert. Do you know where all those candidates stand on the most important political question, whether interest rates should be raised, whatever, a quarter percent? Do you know where they all stand on that? No, I have no idea. I heard amply about their thoughts about like Ronald Reagan. but but (laughs) Yo, we heard amply about just what degree of lame they believe the minimum wage to be. Like literally, do you think it's lame, lamer, or lamest. And it was just like endless, like lame discussion about the minimum wage. And I felt bad for Jake Tapper at some points because I was like, I don't know if I were moderating that, what I would have done with those 11 on stage and three hours to fill, right? Like it was it was so completely and utterly useless. It was such infotainment. I think CNN should shoulder some of the blame for that. It was structurally set up to be a circus and lo and behold, it was a circus. Right. And, and also anybody who's watching three hours of a Republican debate probably wants a little substance. Yes, we want Trump to be Trump. But anybody who's willing to commit to that, I think, you know, you wildly underestimate your audience when you think, oh, we can't really ask a serious question about the economy or we can't really press them on foreign policy. We can't really press them on ISIS or, oh, God forbid, climate change, the major existential threat to our species. You know, I mean, I thought it was really telling that Tapper at hour 245 said, we've been getting a lot of questions on social media about climate change. And it was like, <laughs> hey, dude, you should be you should be having questions on climate change just as a person in the news media. You don't need to sort of couch it in the, oh, but this is from the people, which is why we're even asking about it. You know, I felt like they were very reluctant to bring the realness on the real things. Yeah. This now gives us an opportunity in hour three of our podcast to talk <laughs> about the Secret Service code names, which was, Annie, I think... For an evening full of a lot of dorky jokes, like the dork quotient was exponentially high in that section of the debate. Well, this this came shortly on the heels, as I remember in the hazy cloud of memory that I have, of the kind of painful question about who should be on a $10 bill, in which like Margaret Thatcher and Mother Teresa, neither of whom yes. are American, yes. because there, there are no worthy American women, apparently. We have to look abroad for them. And look, no disrespect to Rosa Parks, but it was like, someone said Rosa Parks, and then everyone was like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. Parks. They were yeah, like, yeah, good yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. Rosa Parks. That was, that was a a particularly painful moment among many others. But yeah, secret secret service code name. So, I mean, I was actually waiting for one of them to be like mine would be Reagan. 
<laughs> right, right. Mine would be Ronald Reagan. Let's just review for people who've forgotten. John Kasich with the mellifluous suggestion of Unit One. Uh, <laughs> Jeb Bush, ever ready. Carly Fiorina said Secretariat. Nobody really asked her. That was not explained. Ben Carson was One Nation. Mike Huckabee, Duck Hunter. Uh, Duck Hunter. Donald Trump, <laughs> Humble. Oh, I think that was meant to be ironic. And I mean, I mean, the, the, the line of the night, possibly, Rand Paul, justice never sleeps. <laughs> justice never sleeps. I love how that album started with the electric version of Justice Never <laughs> Sleeps and ends with the acoustic. Okay, so, Pesco, what would your Secret Service name be? Well, my Secret Service name would also be the answer to the $10 bill question, Beyonce. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's good. It's, it was right there. I'll say the only thing I would bring up with your Secret Service code name, Mike, is if you had people talking about Beyonce into their walkie-talkies, that would probably attract attention, but maybe that's something you would want from... Your Secret Service. Detail. All right, then I'll take uh, <laughs> then I'll take Carly's suggestion and go with another famous racehorse, Zippy Chippy. And actually, probably apt. <laughs> Annie, I think mine would be snacks. That's good. <laughs> I feel like the whole point of a Secret Service nickname is for it to be something totally badass that the Secret Service likes to say. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. mine would be Falcon. Yeah. Which Ooh. is like, what's more badass than a Falcon? Also, I am the most unfalcon-like person I could imagine. Klutzy, prone to spills, very land-bound. But all the more reason for my Secret Service nickname to be Falcon. And that's where we're going to leave it, friends. Okay, that's it for this episode, this marathon adventure we call Podcasts for America. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and for help from Zach Dinerstein this week. As always... Thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And a big, special, rounding, hearty applause for the great Mike Pesca. Huh? Yeah. Zippy Chippy. Come on. Zippy Chippy. For, for Zippy Chippy. <laughs> uh, and for snack. And, and always to snacks for soldiering through this, as she does. Oh, thank you. Uh, please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter, at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Mike Pesca will be sitting in for Mark Leibovich to answer each and every one of those emails personally. And please tell your friends about us, too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover this great little corner of the universe. For Mike Pesca beside me, with many, many beverages, including a lemon-lime seltzer, and Annie Lowry and her cold medicine in Washington, D.C., I'm a person named Alex Wagner, but known better as the Falcon here in New York. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, America. We should go out with... Any Avenger. the sound of a rodent being killed. Yeah.